That's Jeremy Bryan. And that's Caroline Steele. <laughs> and this is HR Alchemist. Alchemist. Hi guys, and welcome back to HR Alchemist. Today, I'm so happy to share this awesome conversation we had with Felix Langness. He's the co-founder and managing director of HR Digital and an executive coach. He holds a PhD in psychology and is a true believer in the power of feedback. Felix developed the Surround View feedback platform with his team because he had the experience that valuable feedback is not given nearly enough. The app enables people to provide meaningful feedback to each other easily. During our conversation, we focused on the topic of feedback since it's often the key driver for organizational and team development for many companies. Felix shares some excellent insights from the hands-on work he has done with different organizations all over the world. Here he is telling us a little bit about the origin of his company. We started the company in 2015, and before doing so, I was working for a consulting company in Germany. and. Um, you know, doing, doing a lot of consulting projects in the assessment center context and then also building corporate universities for, for customers. And so I was very much involved in the whole people development business, you know, building skills, coaching people. And the one thing that is actually also from a psychological perspective, very, very helpful for, for people to spark their own development or to let's say, moderate and facilitate their own development journey actually is feedback. Yeah? So rich, very strong, more or less immediate feedback. And unfortunately, in almost all of the companies that I was consulting for and I was, I was working for as a consultant, almost all of these companies did not have that. Right? So usually leaders and in most cases executives they never get or very rarely get highly valuable, meaningful feedback. And that is very sad, um, very, very sad if you think about it, because people do change only if they get very relevant feedback. Sometimes it's a personal reflection process that can spark that kind of change and behavioral change and personal development. But in most cases, actually, it's feedback from others. It's feedback from peers, feedback from employees, feedbacks from customers, and so on and so forth. So we saw that. We saw that in some of the projects we did, that this part was really missing. And then what we did, actually, we, we scanned the App Store and looked into available, easy, simple feedback apps. And since there was nothing there, we said, hey, let's go for it. We left the company and then we founded HR Digital and created that surround view feedback tool. And the feedbacks we have received regarding that feedback tool are actually quite positive because people say it is helpful to finally have something where I can enter this feedback. And for feedback receivers also, of course, very, very helpful to see what other people perceive what kind of perceptions they have about certain behaviors they have, then also to receive some development recommendations, some development hints. So they do not only know, hey, this is how others see me, but they also know this is what I need to do now. That makes a lot of sense about what you said, that people can actually change when given development-based feedback. And how do you think, how can we measure that progress with the feedback? Is there a way to track if someone's developing based on the feedback they're given? The thing is, if people get feedback, usually they get it once. 
then it's very rarely that they will follow up on that, that they will go back to that same person and say, hey, you know, remember three weeks ago, you gave me this kind of feedback. Now there was a similar situation. Can you tell me again? What was your perception today? Most people don't do that. Yeah, most people have, I think, a inner resistance to talking about these kind of aspects because they say, hey, maybe there's something bad coming out of it. Maybe people will say something bad about me. So um, yes, measuring progress and tracking progress actually is very, very necessary and very helpful. And so in the Surround View app, for instance, that's what we did. We built in an option for individuals to actually see, hey, this is how much I have gotten better regarding a certain competency, regarding a certain behavior. And it's usually these very basic things that most leaders don't do very well. Basic things like listening well, actively listening to what do my employees actually say, empathizing with them, asking for how they feel, for instance, right? Tracking that on an app like that and seeing it over time, I did actually change. And then there's a hopefully positive reinforcement saying, hey, yes, you did, did do that right. Yeah, you uh, changed and that was perceived by others positively. That is actually one of the things that help people very much in changing their behavior. You talked about leaders and them having to listen actively. Yeah. Which tends to be quite a challenge. And you've probably seen this a lot in your experience, especially you know, when you're coaching leaders, you've probably seen some other patterns that leaders struggle with. We often find that team leads have a resistance against the idea of doing regular feedback because it's just another thing on top of their activities that they have to do in managing the whole team. It sounds to me like your Surround View app sort of makes it a lot simpler. And also, I really like how you're, what you're saying is that you can track your progress over time because most companies do feedback. And they do it quite well, but there's a difference between doing feedback and tracking it over a certain period of time. There's a certain level of motivation that comes from tracking improvement as well. But what are some other patterns that you see leaders uh, struggle with? Well, I mean, currently, what you can see, of course, also because of the corona pandemic, you can see that a lot of companies are under so much pressure. They are focusing on cutting costs. They are focusing on letting people go. They are focusing a lot on the what they're not so much focusing on the how. And that is, of course, very, very terrible because if you think about what comes along with the corona pandemic is, of course, also remote leadership or leading in a virtual world. And in that kind of context, it is much more important to give more room to the how instead of the what. And if you don't have a structured process and feedback usually is much more about the how than the what. How do we interact with each other? How do we communicate? How do we collaborate? How do we coach each other? How do we support each other? You know, all these kind of questions. Then it is actually helpful. Maybe that's a German thing too. Yeah, it's helpful to have that kind of structure, to have a system in place where people can say, okay, now I have this. And with this, I can take more time to look at the how. HR Digital, Felix's company, is, as he describes it, remote by default. Their development team is part of a larger company based in Vietnam, and they also have employees in the US, the UK, and across Germany. Here, we asked him about what techniques they have learned as a team to engage with each other virtually. What we do is we are trying to, we're trying to focus on pretty much three different things. The very first thing that we are trying to do, we're trying to empathize 
with the team and try to also take our time to hear about feelings and moods. Why? Because in working remotely, the social distance is very strong. And if you go back to what I said before about the what and the how, a lot of people make the mistake, I think it's a mistake, that they go too much into the what directly. So they say, hey, virtual team, it's like you are here, I can see you properly, I can hear you properly, so let's dig into it right away. Yeah, and that's actually the opposite of what we do. So we take more time to check, hey, how do you, how do you guys feel today? What's your mood today? How is your day in Vietnam today? This morning, for instance, how is your morning like? Do you see? Yeah, because usually we get surprising answers. Like, for instance, today was terrible because it was raining all day or people are, I don't know, sick in the office or we had a terrible lunch or, <laughs> you know, whatever. But it's, of course, important. It's important for the meeting. It's important for us to understand, ah, then that's probably necessary maybe to shift the agenda, to reprioritize, maybe to focus more on one topic than the other, and so on and so forth. Also, we take time for social e-gathering, right? So we were taking time to just have a virtual coffee or something like that with the team, just a couple of minutes, you know, just, it doesn't have to be long, but we're trying to get a feeling for them and to give them a chance to get a feeling for us. Yeah, because maybe two or three times a year we fly over and then spend one or two weeks with them, but that's not nearly enough. Then the second thing is, and this is actually, it has a certain cultural effect, I think, but not, not only. We always ask, almost in every meeting, we ask people to speak up. We ask them to voice also critical opinions, critical aspects where they might say, I do not like the idea. I do not like the approach. I have a different idea than that. So when they have actually contrary or critical opinions, we also ask them to voice them. And then not only for us to solve them, but actually we also trying to engage them to solve them with each other, ask for support and support each other. And the third thing is that we are trying to keep them as informed as possible and as connected to each other as possible. So the team in Vietnam, for instance, they are actually together, right? It's a team of seven people and they were sitting very, very closely uh, to each other in the same office building on the same floor, desk to desk. But of course, then some people in US and UK and Berlin and so on and so forth, they are not. So we're trying to bring them in. So we'll have one person from Berlin, for instance, joining a daily scrum call on a Wednesday. Then we have another person from UK joining the daily scrum on a Friday just to get their opinion, but also show them their face, you know, let them hear their moods and so on and so forth. Because otherwise you will not create a strong network of people that are actually engaged with each other. And then for that reason, also with the company and the purpose of the company, but you will just have individual people spread around the world that you are connecting to. And that is like a, like a single point of failure, so to speak. And when we talk about feedback, for instance, that's some, one of the things that I think is very applicable when you're doing a feedback session one-on-one yeah. with your team member is as a team lead to always make sure that you're giving the first five, 10 minutes just to connect mm -hmm. and, and make small talk in a way, right? Just to check where the other person is at. Yeah. Um, so that's a really, that's, that's like a best practice in a way. What other best practices can you think of in terms of feedback? So actually, I wrote an article on LinkedIn about that um, a couple of days ago. And it was actually about my mother. 
<laughs> so I don't know I if you saw that. It yeah, was, you saw that. That was really sweet. When I was a kid, my mother used to take me a lot to the theater. And I like that too. Yeah, I always like the world of theater and acting and, you know, building stories and jumping into different roles and, and so, all that kind of stuff. What was very surprising and a little bit horrible for me in the very beginning was that once the first show was over and everybody, you know, everyone in the, in the, in the audience was heading towards the exit, my mother would actually take me by the hand and actually kind of drag me <laughs> towards the stage. And I, I, you know, I immediately said, you know, what are we doing? You know, what's going on? Why are we doing this? And uh, <laughs> she said, hey, um, let's give them some feedback. And I, you know, I was like, uh, really, <laughs> are you sure? You're sure we're supposed to do this? You know, we, you know, nobody's doing that. And uh, it, it was pretty much in the, in the line of, um, you know, applause, applause is fine and you can get some info from applause, but it's not enough, you know? You need more than that. You need more than just simple recognition. By the way, all these recognition tools out there today, you know, to me, it's not very sensible, not very sustainable. But uh, yeah, so she would, you know, open the, the door towards the backstage area <laughs> without anyone asking her to do that. And she would actually, uh, and that, that was kind of nice. She would introduce herself. She would say that, She's also an actress, which gave her some you know, credibility. You know? And then she would start by uh, giving positive feedback about a certain area, what she, what she saw. And then you could see what happened in the crowd of people. Some left because they, they thought, wow, you know, that woman and her son, they're probably really crazy. I want to get away from this. <laughs> yeah. uh, but others stayed, of course. And sometimes they, it sparked a discussion or let's say an open conversation about, so what did you like and what did you perceive and what did you see? And what sometimes even they said, what did you not like as much? Yeah? And that to me was kind of eye-opening and probably or possibly also one of the reasons why feedback is so important to me nowadays. Yeah? You learn a lot about feedback in leadership courses. And actually, I used to teach people that early in my career. And it's always the same stuff. So the same stuff like the feedback sandwich, right? So something positive, then something not so positive, and then something positive again. And now everybody knows about that feedback sandwich. And guess what? If you start with something positive, they don't even listen to you because they say, ah, then it's probably something negative coming, right? There's probably going to be something negative, right? And then there is actually going to be something negative. And they say, aha, I knew it. There's something negative, <laughs> you know, like that. And then uh, you say something negative, right? And then there's something positive again, and they don't listen to the positive stuff anymore. So actually, my recommendation is stop using that. Stop using these patterns. Stop using what everybody does. There's some things, I think, some rules that are very helpful. For instance, speak about yourself, not others. Don't say, oh, you know, all the people think this or that about you. But really talk about what you have perceived. So I perceived this. Feedback is not an evaluation. So a performance review is not feedback. It's a review of performance. Feedback is about perceptions. I perceive something. And when a lot of people perceive lots of things, maybe I, as a feedback receiver, can see a pattern and I can understand what I want to do with that. But it's my responsibility. It's my feedback. It, the feedback provider doesn't own the feedback. They're not right. They're not wrong. They have just their own perceptions. And I don't think a lot of people get that. A lot of people believe that feedback is an evaluation. It's really not. 
if you take that traditional old medieval command and control structure, highly hierarchical, there probably once upon a time for, for some time, it may have made sense to provide feedback only top down. Yeah, because there's this one manager working with a couple of direct reports. They work extremely closely together every day. Feedback is understood as an evaluation. Then once upon a time, that may have made sense. But we have evolved from that a long time ago, decades. But the feedback process actually has not so much. I think it's, it's lagging behind. And yeah, why is that necessary? Well, because today the supervisor, the manager, however you want, want to call him or her, usually does not know enough about a person, about a direct report, in order to provide really meaningful, recurring, and valuable feedback to them. Usually they have larger teams, and in these teams, they work mm -hmm. remotely. They work in a metric structure. They have dotted lines. They have other people around them that have much more possibility to actually provide them with this kind of valuable and meaningful feedback about, for instance, certain patterns that those people do perceive rather than the supervisor. So the supervisor's perception and their feedback is possibly helpful. But to me and from our experience, the peer feedback plus their employee feedback plus maybe customer feedback, internal customer feedback, external customer feedback, and the aggregation of all of these feedbacks, that is what paints a picture. That's what is, so to speak, creating the Gestalt yeah? and the Gestalt Psychologie, right? So the actual form and shape of what people may understand as a reflection of their behavior in that context, meaning feedback can also be very different. So it's, it's not about right or wrong. So you may get some feedback from your behavior when you work in a startup. And with that same behavior in a different context, like a big chemical company, maybe in a different country, the same behavior may lead to very, very different feedback, possibly better feedback, worse feedback, doesn't matter. It's not right or wrong. It's about perceptions and where that Gestalt is actually a good fit and where it's not and how you as a feedback receiver want to shape that form so you have a life that is purposeful and that you enjoy. Uh, because it's probably the only one we have. Talking about the only life that you have, you wear many hats. And Lila and I, of course, met you at Steinbach University where you were teaching us. Is this something that you really enjoyed? And what was the, the motivation to take on a teaching role at Steinbach? Teaching, yeah. Actually, I just gave it a try. And actually, I love it very much. I mean, now I'm 39. Right, so um, I'm, I'm starting to feel old. But what I like about teaching is really that open discussion about some patterns and systems that worked in the past, for instance, regarding change and coaching and other things. And the open discussion with the students, if from their point of view, these kind of things would also work in the future. And if you only reproduce or reuse all those successful patterns that you have used in the past, and that is probably true for individual behavior as well as for certain consulting patterns or methods and so on and so forth that you have, that you have established over time, then you're probably not getting the best for your clients. The other part is just you know, sharing that kind of experience and that knowledge with students. 
I find very, very motivating, especially because the students at IEC, for instance, are coming from all over the world. So it's really not a bunch of Germans that are sitting there, but it's a highly diverse group from all over the world, which I like very much. Felix's wife is also a psychologist and an essential worker working in a hospital. We wanted to know how he's been managing the work-life balance of working from home with two small children during COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, it's a challenge. It's not as, as big of a challenge now as it was in the, in the beginning, right? Because now, for instance, the kids can go back to school for one day at least during the week. And the other days, they totally love it that they have their dad at home as their home tutor. They, they totally love it. Yeah? They tell me every day how much they love it. But yeah, we are trying to, for instance, involve them as much as possible, right? So I believe that when you actually listen to your kids and you actually ask your kids and you speak with them in a reasonable way, that they usually also give you reasonable answers. Uh, what we do, for instance, we have a, we have a schedule. And the schedule contains things in the area of creativity, in the area of housework, in the area of then homework, and in the area of sports. They pick something they want to do in each of these areas every day. And one area, of course, is home tutoring with the DAD. And that works, let's say, most of the time. Uh, actually, I think that our kids are much better at uh, handling us than we are at handling them. So usually people uh, say, oh, you know, you're th those poor kids, you know, they have two parents and both of them are psychologists, you know, they're probably crazy already. They, they, they're going to need therapy for life, right? No, actually, I think we're trying to give them as much freedom as possible. We are trying to establish some basic um, rules, yeah. And we're trying to reflect with them their own behavior when it's very positive and when it's very negative. But that's actually one thing that I do do. Every couple of weeks, I am asking my children for feedback. So I'm asking them what they like about my parenting behavior and what they dislike. And what they would, if they had only one thing they could change, what they would change. And that is very interesting. It's very, very interesting to ask these questions. And you usually get very surprising answers. You're like running a mini organization. <laughs> <laughs> with, with lots of feedback. Yeah. Exactly. There you have it. Thank you so much, Felix, for taking the time to talk to us. And of course, thank you, Steinbeis University, for introducing all of us. If you'd like to follow up with Felix, you can find his website, HR Digital, or you can even connect with him on LinkedIn. Find us on LinkedIn. Please give us feedback. Tell us what topics you want to hear about next. Thank you guys for listening and stay safe out there. <laughs>